What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rose, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. Derek, how are you? Doing well, Sean. It's a, it's a glorious day. As um, Here on February 2nd, we found hope to to continue on with the announcement that uh, Instable, well, actually technically not going to be Instable, but EA Sports is bringing back its college football game. Yeah, that's uh, that's the big news, right? Nothing. It's more important than anything else we're going to talk about today. It is because now you and I can officially stop playing NCAA 14. Yeah, we can like move we've on. been doing. Like I know that's how we started our quarantine off last year. Was we were running through dynasties, and me trying to build Marshall and all these other schools into a powerhouse. Uh, but no, uh, it feels good to be back on here after the last two weeks. Uh, two weeks off pretty much I think you recorded now you recorded with Kalen one day last week and we just uh, discovered that the email file did not send to me so that's why there wasn't an, an episode with Kalen yeah. filling in for me that episode went to the, to the lost archives of Kentucky Daily to, to not be heard by folks but some of the things that Kalen and I talked about last week I'll, I'll go ahead and mention on here as we move on uh, probably in the second half this episode, we'll discuss some of the things. I don't think it's too far outdated. Uh, there's really not been too much movement on those fronts. But, Sean, there really wasn't anything going on over the weekend in Kentucky sports as uh, the program for the first time, I guess you could say, since the season started, kind of kind of got hit with the COVID bug. Yeah. Well, I pressed pause, and they pressed pause, so I feel like I didn't miss a ton. Uh, and I'm sorry to all the listeners here. I, I thank you for your patience, though. I've had a couple of you message saying that you missed us and everything. Well, we're back. Everything's good to go. I just had to hit restart. Had hit a little bit of a wall there. Now I'm good to go. I'm energized and ready for whatever happens over the next month and a month and a half with basketball season. And then with football, we'll get into that, too. But, Derek, uh, the basketball team, We last time we talked, we talked about the schedule and how they had opportunities for, for big games. It started with Alabama. They let one slip away. Um we haven't talked since then, but that that was one that I did I didn't watch it live, but I did go back and watch it later. And how frustrating to let that one slip away! And then the game that I actually I said it a week ago that I honestly thought that out of the four in the stretch that they had the best chance to win was at home against Texas, and they didn't get to play it. And that one's not going to get rescheduled. I mean, that game is just thrown to the side. What do you, what do you make of that? Does is it better that Kentucky didn't play Texas, or is it better that or would have been better had they played them? I think he, they at least would have liked to have had that shot to try to pick up a big win. Um, the Alabama game, I mean, that was just to me just uh, the inability, obviously, that we talked about for them to not be able to score. But you thought they would get back in Rupp Arena on Saturday, have a chance to to pull off an upset win. I mean, Texas still would have been without Shaka Smart for that game. So you, you would have been getting a team that wasn't necessarily 
players wise, they probably would have been at full strength, but you know, it's different when you don't have your head coach on the sideline and, um, they had lost Oklahoma, who is, is on a really good run right now. Oklahoma beat Alabama on Saturday during the SEC Big 12 Challenge. But I still think it would have been better to play them. Could have had a chance at least to move in that right direction. Because as it is now, Sean, they've got, I think, nine games left. You can still get some big wins. This is still not an easy stretch by any means. I mean, I look at Auburn at 55th in Ken Palm. But that is a totally different team with Sharif Cooper there now. So they, they gave Baylor a pretty good push the other day, but Baylor's one of the best teams in the country. So the way I look at this, I, I've not seen enough sustained success from this team anyway, even had they risen to the occasion and beat Texas on Saturday. I'm not convinced that they could have come right back against Missouri and won that game. So still might have been nice for, for the kids to be able to pick up a win like that. would have been good for the fan base. So I still think you would have wanted to play it. At this point, Sean, what does a loss really matter if you're already 5-10? Uh, they're getting two of them this week. Uh, I think they lose both these games coming up. And reason being is you just had this pause. You haven't played since Alabama, and now you, you pick up different schedule. You go on the road on a Wednesday night to Missouri, and then you turn around and have two days preparation to get ready for Tennessee, Derek. I just think it sets up that this might be the nail in the coffin uh, for this whole season. I just I think that this – is a nail that they're not winning either. In my opinion, they're not winning these two games. I don't know how you feel, but the way that they let the Alabama game slip away and stuff, the, all the issues are still there. They had a chance to get a huge win, and they couldn't pull it out, and now they've hit some adversity, and they have to win tomorrow night. I don't I don't know, though. I just I don't have any confidence in them winning these two. And Missouri's an old team, physical. You know how it is with Conza Martin. Those teams are always pretty tough physically. Um Again, I'm going to talk about Missouri. Not a just downright super talented team. I would say top to bottom, Kentucky has far more talent probably. <clears throat> Excuse me, just a little bit more talent for sure than Missouri. Um, but going on the road over there, like you're talking about, the schedule's thrown off a little bit. Um, and they will have a little bit of a more, I guess, quicker turnaround for a tough – like Tennessee's an interesting team on Saturday because if Jaden Springer's healthy, they've not lost a game that he's played in. All, all the games that they've lost, he's either barely played or just hasn't played. So that's going to be a tough game. Like I'm kind of with you. Like, uh, pretty, I mean, honestly, when we go back, I think you're going to be able to pinpoint Georgia as a game that really probably killed any chance to to really turn this thing around because that's, that's just well, a bad loss. It's, I mean, Georgia's it's just a bad painful. Team. It's painful when you go back and you look that they let that one slip away late. And they let a an opportunity to Alabama, and, and it wasn't just yeah Auburn, uh, yeah. but but Alabama just oh gosh, Derek, if you looked at the final score, you don't even know if they were competitive. But that was a game yeah, that they, they were leading. Going, <laughs> they were, that's a game that the they led going to the under four timeout. I mean, that's yeah. the thing that you look at, and see, that's the thing. Like I didn't watch the full game that night live, but I was alert enough watching it that I knew they had a two a lead there going to the final media timeout, and then I had to take a phone call, and I come back in, and I'm like, okay. Did I, was the score wrong the entire time? Was it really Kentucky leading? Because how do you lose by eleven? Well, you get outscored eighteen to five. They, um, you know, I know there's a lot of complaining about the free throw discrepancy in that game. Uh, I think Alabama shot like I mean it's been over it's been like a week now, so I forget the exact numbers, but I think they shot like twenty six. Is it the twenty six free throws for the game, or maybe in the second half? Uh, it was a lot. I mean, you got to think though, if you're Kentucky, they had them in a spot where they held they held Alabama 
way below their season average, uh, not only in points, but also three-point makes. And they are just so bad offensively, Kentucky that is, that they just cannot – I mean, you have, you have no chance. I don't think they could have probably played too much better against Alabama in terms of the score. And, I mean, Kentucky can't even break 60 points against a team like that. Now, take it for what it's worth, Lance Ware today and their media uh, session on Zoom said that, you know, Cal's kind of taken these last few days to kind of try to re- rejuvenate the offense, whatever word you want to use. <laughs> we shall see. To me, I mean, there's just – I don't think there's much that can be done. I just think the roster construction is not very good. The, the talent is not great, I guess, compared to what we expect from a Kentucky team. I don't know if you saw this. It was on, uh, I saw it on Twitter for BBN Tonight, I believe. They had a Missouri assistant coach on there talking about how the last few games they'd played, the guards on the other team had really given Missouri some trouble. And he was basically saying, well, I don't think Kentucky has the same kind of wiggle as these other teams that we played, which is a very sobering statement, I think, to hear, which is nothing new. I mean, we know that. We've watched this game – or we've watched this team, excuse me. We've talked about how, you know, the guard play is pretty weak compared to most years. So it's still a tough thing to hear, though. Yeah, the lack of wiggle has been there for months, and that's usually a term you hear (laughs) in football, not in basketball. Yeah. But, yeah, there, there's no burst when it comes to their backcourt. And still sitting here as of today without Terrence Clark, John Calipari said that if they're not at full strength tomorrow night, it won't be due to COVID. So I'm assuming it's due to that, I'm talking about Terrence. Uh, do they get him back, Derek? I mean, it's starting to come to a point here now where nine games left in the season, if he doesn't play the next, like, three or four, what do you what do you do then? Well, I would say for Terrence's sake, he might want to strongly consider if he's healthy enough because he – there hasn't been a whole lot of grace given to him, which, I mean, these people at ESPN aren't going to be the guys doing the drafting, but I got to think that they're pretty plugged in in terms of what these teams are thinking. And uh, Terrence is all the way down to 44th now in the ESPN mock that came out today. So he is just continually sliding. I'm assuming He's, that's what his laughing emoji was on his tweet, wasn't it? If, I mean, I don't know that for sure. It could have been. I mean, if, if it was, it tells you that he's, he's gone no matter what, so he might not even care if his draft stock I mean, is falling. I'm sure somebody – yeah, probably what it was. I'm sure someone got to him and told him, hey, you're you're down to mid-second-round pick now. Um, You would welcome him back, I think, for sure. But at the same time, he's – feels like this is not even the same kind of team, though, since he went away, since he got hurt, because he got Keon back and he got Dante playing a whole lot more. So, like, I don't know how he would really fit in at this point in the season. But certainly if you wanted to play, I mean, you take the talent. But I, I was actually thinking about him today in terms of what he might decide to do after the season. Because I wrote that story on Cal talking about Emmanuel quickly and, you know, his story that Cal didn't even think that he was a draftable player certainly not after his first year, but even sounded like early on last season during his sophomore year before he really blew up. And I thought about it for Terrence's sake, like no matter how bad BJ Boston has been this year, and he is starting to improve a little bit, but he's still considered a first round guy. But for Terrence, he's, I mean, he's liable to, (laughs) I mean, if he came back and didn't play well, that might even be worse for, I don't know. Like he's in a weird spot, I think where he doesn't have a ton of tape this year and he's not, he didn't really play all that great outside of one game against Georgia Tech. Yeah, they're in, a, they're in a difficult spot right now, just overall. I mean, February, when the calendar turns to this month, Derek, it's always about the bubble. I mean, that's the you see it every game that's on ESPN. Lenardi's checking in from the bunker. 
talking about the bubble teams, and this is where bubble teams, you know, earn an at-large bid or the bubble burst. Right now, Kentucky doesn't even have a bubble. Like, there's there's nothing there. So, like, it, I mean, you're in February with nine games late, and they're losing games. Like, the game against Texas, this one gets moved. Uh, you don't know how COVID's going to impact anything else. Like, do, is the South Carolina game going to get rescheduled? There's Who knows about that? Is the conference tournament going to be played? Uh, will all the teams participate in the conference tournament? Like We have no idea what college basketball is going to look like for the next four weeks before we get to the NCAA tournament. I mean, it's clearly Kentucky's only path at this point to reach an NCAA tournament is winning the SEC tournament. It did sound like from what Cal I mean, I think, I think these teams will play. I don't think anyone's going to be allowed to opt out um, unless there's a bad COVID situation at a school. Then I, I think they would probably make you know an exception for that. But if your whole thing is you just don't want to play because you know you're guaranteed a spot in the NCAA tournament, I don't know if that's going to fly or not. With these teams, for Cal said they wouldn't be opting out, which obviously they wouldn't. I mean, it's their only path to to making the tournament. So I guess before we move off of basketball, Sean, in the event, and I'm sure we'll discuss this more as it gets closer. But like two two things, I guess. One, I guess they need to finish with a good enough record where you play. You don't have to play on Thursday because winning four games in four days is a very big challenge. Obviously, it's going to be hard enough for this team just to win three games in three days. So in the event that they do only have to play Friday through Sunday. Like, how confident are you they could run through the SEC and win three straight games? I'm not. I'm not. I'm more confident they lose the first game than they get to the third game. <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm trying to be real with, with this. Uh, this is a team, Derek, that they've struggled to sustain quality play. They don't put together 40 minutes of play. How can we expect them to put together 120? I think that's the thing because that, that's what the, I mean. That's the thing when you get to that part of the tournament, you're playing the Alabamas, you're playing the Tennessees, you're playing the the Auburns, the Floridas. I just don't know. Like I think they would have to have some significant help. Honestly, that's what I was going to say. You'd have to have Alabama get bounced unexpectedly, Tennessee maybe get knocked out. Well, I can't imagine they go through a scenario where they don't have to play at least one of those teams though. Um, so to get through there. So with nine games left. Let's just say that, that's not counting South Carolina, right? I mean, if it is it even not. Going, if, if if it doesn't have an impact on the SEC standings, does that game even get rescheduled? I don't know. South Carolina has a bunch of games to make up, I believe. Like they had for Kentucky, that's the only SEC game they've not been able to play that was scheduled. But I think for South Carolina, they've missed uh, at least a few SEC games. So, so I'll say this: with nine games left, they're five and ten. What do they have to do to put themselves in a position to where they don't have to win the conference tournament? Is there a path that if they just get to the conference championship game? or Because typically some of these bubble teams, you just want to see them. They they try to make a run in the conference tournament. But like what we keep saying, Kentucky's not even on the bubble. Like you can't put a 5-10 team on the bubble. We'd have to be talking about a, what, nine-game winning streak right here, which they've not had more than three the whole season. So just to, just to get to your best-case scenario, they'd have to be 14-10. and 10. At that point, they would have some pretty good wins. They would have two wins over Tennessee and two wins over Florida. If LSU doesn't just completely self-sabotage, that might still be considered a decent win. But it's not very, it's not very sturdy. But I also don't know – it's hard for me to even know what other teams on the bubble will look like. But that's what I'm talking about. We're talking about best case scenario is 14 and 10, and that's having to put together nine straight wins for this team, which you just what, I just don't think. What you would can. that be conference record wise? 
if they win. They won nine straight. They'd be 13-4. and four. So we'll have to see about the South Carolina game. But they'd have one fewer game than everybody else. So. And that was the number that we were calling for that, honestly, going into conference play, that they had to get to if they wanted to at least have a chance. Well, so yeah, that, think about this. I mean, if they beat Auburn and, and Georgia, I mean, think about where they are right now at that seven and, what, eight instead. Like, you still see a path if that's the case. But those losses were just killer. I mean, bad, bad losses. I mean, Auburn is kind of like, – like I said, Auburn's a little bit different now with Sharia Cooper. Like, I think they're going to be a pretty – it's not an embarrassing loss. I mean, they should have won that game. They shot horribly. Uh, Georgia's a bad loss. I mean, there's just no, no excuse losing to Georgia. No, there's not. And then – I don't know. Like it's just you're to that point where you look at this thing and you're you're kind of thinking one loss probably does them in. Uh, with nine games left, looking at the schedule, realistically, I think honestly the best that I think they could do would be six and three, and I think that's a push. I think five and four or four and somewhere through there would be their their best or four and five. Five and four, four and five is what I'm going to put it at. Is what I could see them winning five. I could see him beating Arkansas, Auburn, Vanderbilt, A and M, and Mississippi. Yeah, and maybe even Florida at home. But that's where I was coming from with the six and three. Like I, I, yeah. I don't think they're, I don't think they're winning seven, eight, nine games out of this final nine game stretch. If if they do, then they've significantly turned a corner, and whatever happened during this pause was the best thing that happened to them. But I, <laughs> I just don't see that happening. I just maybe this is a good mental thing. Like you know, I, like I, I told you, I had to hit reset for the last couple of weeks. Uh, maybe it maybe it will do this team some good to kind of step away and hit reset for a couple of days and, and clear their mind. I mean, it helped me uh, significantly, but I'm not trying to fight for an NCAA tournament berth. You know, this is this team has to overcome quite a bit just to put themselves in position to even be considered as a bubble team. And right now, that's the thing that they're not a bubble team. Like that that's how bad they've been, Derek. They're not even on the bubble. They're not even like first four out, next four out. They're like forty out. I mean, they won five games the whole season. Yeah, and we're in February. And, yeah, so. And they won know. the season opener, which made <laughs> so then it makes it sound even worse. You know that Moorhead State win. Um, it's it's I'm not gonna pretend it's something that it's not, but I do think it's worth pointing out for the people who listen to this podcast who enjoy the state of Kentucky as a whole uh, in terms of basketball. EKU is having a good year. How about Preston Spradlin at Moorhead, who I, I don't know if he was on the hot seat or what this year. I can't really say that for sure. I just know that they hadn't really been all that great since he had taken over at Moorhead. They are on a – looks like an eight-game winning streak, Sean, and 10-2 and two in the OVC. So they're sitting at 13-6 and six, uh, this season. So that's a, that's a good year out there for the former UK. He uh, wasn't a paid assistant. He was some kind of analyst or whatever, and – Went over, got a, got his job over at Moorhead State as an assistant. Took over, I believe, when Sean Woods got fired or let go, yeah. whatever happened there. And uh, so I'm happy for him. And that, that feels like a long time ago, though, that that game happened. And um, only two top 50 wins, Sean. It's just been a it's been a it's been a weird year. There are some teams in college basketball that are sensational this season. Gonzaga doesn't. I mean, they might be able to go undefeated. Honestly, um, Baylor's been great, but it has been a year where if you looked at the NCAA tournament, you're not for sure that North Carolina, Duke, Kentucky, uh, Kansas is probably going to get in, but Kansas has been rather bad too. I mean, Kansas got destroyed at Tennessee the other day. So it's just a weird year in that regard from what we're used to when we turn on the TV uh, during the winter months to watch college basketball. Yeah, it's it's been weird. Uh, I'm going to try to get back in the swing of things tonight and watch some games and uh, get ready to roll here. It's This is a uh... – 
realistic thing, Derek, that Kentucky fans could go two full years without an NCAA watching their team in the NCAA tournament. You know, considering last year's was yeah. canceled, uh, it feels like it's been ten years since Kentucky lost to Auburn in the Elite Eight in Kansas City. Like that—that's what it feels like to me. So uh, I guess we'll wait and we'll see. And we'll, it starts tomorrow night at Missouri. Kentucky and Missouri tomorrow night been moved to Wednesday night. I know there was some spe- some speculation there yesterday, Derek. Once we didn't get, once it got to Sunday night, and we didn't get the media advisory email that we were going to have a press conference on Monday, I kind of knew that they were not going to play on Tuesday. So it was either getting moved or yeah. getting postponed. Uh, so Kentucky and Missouri, at least they're getting to play. I don't think they played at Missouri last year, did they? The year before, I think, was the last trip to Missouri. PJ got hurt, right? Or Reed? Was Reed, Reed, Reed got hurt. Reed got hurt. Missouri, yeah. So I think, yeah, Missouri came to Rupp early in SEC play last year, so they didn't go out there. So uh, it's a place I know they, they won that one. They lost the first the first time I went out there and covered it was uh, PJ's freshman year, and they won. So we'll see what happens. It's a challenge. It's a, it's a quality basketball team that they beat Illinois early in the season that Kentucky could certainly lose that game tomorrow night, and then it's continues oh, yeah. spiraling out of control. So – We'll see what happens. But, Derek, the, the positive buzz, as bad as it's been with basketball, the one thing that I have been able to kind of get a sense, and I haven't been as plugged in plugged in on it as you have the last couple of weeks, the Kentucky football program has a lot of positive momentum right now. started with Wondell Robinson a couple of weeks ago after the bowl win. But now as you're entering signing day here, uh, this this recruiting and stuff, it's, it's going to another level for U.K., yeah, it really is. Um, obviously, these days, the December signing period is what we were, you know, kind of label as the big national signing day. But for Kentucky this year, um, things look really good for Trevin Wallace, the four-star linebacker out of Georgia. I forget how much we've talked about him because I talked with, with Kalen. We've not recorded in a while, so I'll just go ahead and give the rundown for people who uh, maybe haven't heard this or for some reason are out of the loop. Maybe you don't follow football recruiting all that close. Whatever it might be, uh, Trevin Wallace is a four-star linebacker from Georgia who was really f- kind of flew under the radar his entire recruitment up until, like, I don't know, September, October, November, one of those months, because he was committed to Boston College. Um, but he's all the way up to number 35 in the country on 247sports.com. He's a number two inside linebacker. And I think one of the reasons why he's kind of gone under the radar, at least for a while, I think I think as of now, if you really follow this stuff, you certainly know who he is. Um, but this was a kid who was really tight with a, a coach at Auburn named Travis Williams. And once Gus Malzahn got canned at Auburn, uh, Brian Harson chose not to retain Travis Williams. It's really opened it up for John Summerall and Brad Wyatt at Kentucky to get in on Trevin Wallace. And uh, all indications now, Sean, I mean, it's recruiting – People ask me stuff like this, and I just tell them, you know, you, you never say never in recruiting because crazy things can happen. But here we are. Like, we'll know in, I don't know, less than 24 hours. He's announcing tomorrow at 9 a.m. Eastern time. This is a kid who's going to – I mean, I feel very good that Kentucky's going to get this kid. Like, uh, I mean, I, like I said, you never say never, but there's not a whole lot of buzz. You're worried about Georgia. I know Kentucky staff is worried about Georgia there for a little bit. Uh, their their insider over there just put in a crystal ball today for Kentucky, and it sounds like they're they're all in on one player for the signing period tomorrow. And if they don't get them, they're just not going to sign anybody. So when I say it, it kind of seems like it flew under the radar, is typically if you had a kid of this caliber, he would be discussed at length for a long time. But he's a late bloomer. 
Um, a fantastic player, though, and he's going to be someone who, looking at the all-time ranked on Kentucky's composite rankings, he's going to be the eighth player all-time so, to sign with Kentucky. So I'll ask you this. What does that do for your program at this point? Like the, this is what we talked about going leading up to this when football season ended. You, you and I talked yeah. that we didn't know. Like what is the ceiling for Kentucky football? Is Mark Stoop, did Mark Stoops reach that ceiling you know, two years ago? But when you see winning recruiting battles like this, you get Wondell Robinson in the transfer portal who you might as well just say it's, it's, it's like adding a five-star offensive weapon to your roster yeah. considering the production that he had at Nebraska. And in an area where you need it, and then you get all these these veteran returners that have decided to come back for another year. What, what's this do for the program? Well, I think Trevin's so important because you think about the short term. It's going to hurt them next year not having Jamin Davis. And I'll be curious to see if he goes on the record about this, Trevin. That is, I don't know for sure that you get a kid like Trevin Wallace though if Jamin Davis is still here because I think that path to playing time next year. Probably helped. I can't say for sure. Like I said, I mean, once Auburn was out of the picture, I think Kentucky might have had just as good of a shot as anybody, regardless of whether or not Jamin was back. But I think for the outlook for the next few years, it's big. I mean, to get he's going to be the fifth top 100 kid on this roster next year. So with the momentum, I mean, I really think they recaptured it. And we've talked about that before, about Kentucky football winning the offseason. They do a great job. Um adding to the roster, getting people excited again. And uh, this kid's so important just because he's at such a position of need. I mean, I've been told going into the spring, you're probably looking at Derek Jackson as the starter there at Mike. And I think Derek Jackson has a chance to be a good player in time, but I don't think under any scenario this time last year, if you would have talked to the Kentucky's coaches, they would have told you that <laughs> Derek would have been in that position because you had what happened with Chris Oates, and then Jamin Davis was – I mean, nobody thought Jamin Davis no. was going to be going to the NFL. So, But Trevin Wallace is a kid that – I mean, I, the, the comparison I would make probably and what I've been told about this kid, so if you want to go and just look up somebody who's similar, N'Kobe Dean, who played at Georgia. He was a five-star kid, actually from Josiah Hayes' high school, uh, Horn Lake, Mississippi. You know that that is the kind of player that Kentucky might be getting if you're looking for a comparison. On on his 24/7 page, he's compared to, to Patrick Queen, who plays for the Ravens and was at LSU. So it's a big deal. I think he will play extensively this year. I'm not going to guarantee him any kind of starting spot. You know, he'll have to earn it, things like that. But it really changes the outlook when you think about an inside linebacker like that leading your defense, probably in the year 2022 and on. So yeah. it's a huge deal. It certainly is. It's uh, definitely the thing I'm, you know, I'm trying to catch up on all the news from the last two weeks because I literally unplugged. Like I didn't look at Twitter, I didn't log into the website, Derek, for eight to nine days. Like didn't even look at it. So then you're throwing all this out to me, so I go through it. I'm trying to uh, keep up with it. My screen time on my phone was down seventy five percent. Like didn't even have the Twitter app. I showed you my notifications, everything. Like my whole screen's just blank. So I'm still trying to catch up, but. While I was away, Mark Stoops and the staff's been doing putting in a ton of work and a ton of time, and you, we talked about it. Nobody wins the off season like Kentucky football, but it feels like that now. The year going into the ten and three year, when you get Josh Allen, all those guys announcing they're coming back, that those were big wins for the current team. But it just feels like that this off season, the way that they turned, how hard the last season was, Derek. All there were a lot more lows than there were highs in this past season. But the way they closed it, now the off season, 
it feels like this might be one of those if if they turn into some momentum here and they take this program another level this is going to be one of those turning points where you look back and say this is where it went up or down and it's certainly trending up it is and they might not be done either with uh, transfers um all but guaranteed i don't know if they'll announce it tomorrow or not but luke fulton um the transfer from michigan state another linebacker I believe he's already on campus, actually, but I think they'll probably formally announce him, if not tomorrow, probably some other time this week. But the guy who kind of came on the radar last week, and Kalen and I talked about it last Thursday night, but uh, it didn't didn't make the cut, um, is Will Levis, the quarterback from Penn State. And I more so want to see what happens with him before diving into him too deep. I think he's a kid that Kentucky really wants. I think Liam Cohen is familiar with him. Um, given the New England connections, Will Levis is a kid who uh, went to high school and grew up in Connecticut. So I think there's you know, maybe a guy that Liam Cohen is familiar with all the way dating back to his time when he was coaching at Maine. So he would be an interesting piece. I do think they want to transfer court, whether it's Levis or not, uh, they're going to add another transfer quarterback, I think, just because you're going to need some more depth. Um, and this, if they did add Levis, you know you would be getting a kid that Cohen is at least comfortable with because he's inheriting a roster that I think has some talent. But at the same time, Cohen's bringing in a new system. Um, I think it's only right for Cohen to be able to choose somebody that he thinks will fit his system well and give them a chance to compete. With all that said, no matter who it is, even if it's not Levis, maybe it's some other kid who transfers in, they're not going to be here this spring. So, I mean, this spring is all about Bo Allen and Joey Gatewood and maybe to a lesser extent Nick Scalzo. So – they will have the leg up probably, I would say, at least having Cohen work with them closely. They'll be able to practice in that system. It'll be a good opportunity for him. So he's still somebody to watch, though. No, not sure on a timeline. From what I was told, I think he might have received maybe even more interest than he was expecting when he hit the portal. So he's an interesting player. Uh, could compete for the starting job next year, but we'll have to see what happens with that one. Well, there's a lot to follow over the next 24 hours, and I'm sure that we'll record tomorrow as things break, Derek, and as uh, signatures come in, commitments, whatever else happens. But as we wrap up here, i got to ask you a couple of things. Are you going to try Tyler Hero's Fruit Hoops, his new cereal that's out? Have you seen this? I haven't seen that. Um, I'm very dedicated to Cinnamon Toast Crunch as well. It's <laughs> pretty much been the only thing I've been buying for a while. The Tyler Hero. Or um, the Special K cereal. I, I doubt I'll be trying any of Tyler Hero's fruit hoops or whatever it's called. Tell <laughs> yeah, them to the kids. Let the kids have them. Tower Hero has his own cereal, but it, it all proceeds benefit the T-Hero Foundation, so it's going to, to a good cause. Also, I should have said earlier that for you all, if you've missed it, Oscar Shoeboy is on campus. Uh, UK did put it, confirm that with the video of uh, him and Cal talking, and Oscar's willing to help Kentucky this year as he prepares for next year. Uh, Derek, I don't, I don't think there's anything else. Have we missed anything else that's kind of happened? It's kind of been dead on the basketball front. But yeah, I don't think how, how, how many guys will Kentucky have available tomorrow night? That, I think that's an interesting question. Will it be all the guys? Will Will they only be five, yeah. six, seven guys there? I don't know. Well, Cal made it seem like uh, they were fine in terms of numbers of COVID, but he was kind of, kind of gave a weird quote. I forget exactly what he said, but. He said something like, if guys aren't there, it won't be COVID-related. So I don't know if he I – don't, I don't know. I don't want to speculate too much, but it was a weird way to answer it. <laughs> it so was. we'll see. Uh, we'll see who's there and who's not. But I don't – it doesn't sound like they're going to have a skeleton-type roster, though. Like some of the – I think what it was 
Was the Boston College that only had four scholarship players for their game yesterday? So. Somebody like that only had four scholarship guys, so they were having to pull up kids from the practice squad. So I don't think you're going to have a situation like that tomorrow. Uh, but maybe there's a surprise here or there. I honestly have no idea. No. And uh, we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, maybe will Kentucky tweet out pictures of them boarding the plane today? <laughs> I don't know. They typically do. <laughs> so uh, remember the last time they came back from Missouri was the whole famous Where's Reed Travis? Remember when he when he got hurt out there and you couldn't yeah. see him in the team photo on the plane? Uh, so maybe. I don't know. We'll wait and see what happens. Uh, but Derek? This is going to feel really good to read for the first time in a while. The Butcher's Pub. Got to make it out to the Butcher's Pub. They're still with us, even after a, a brief pause here on Kentucky Daily. I got two locations, one in Pineville, Kentucky, one in Williamsburg, Kentucky. Uh, full menu available, normal hours. You can visit thebutcherspub.com, or you can check them out on Facebook. And I do have some good news. They have confirmed that they are opening a location in London. So oh, that'll wow. be open, I think, uh, I think this year, 21. I don't, I'm not sure which month. I'll find out. But that will be the third place for the Butcher's Pub. So pretty soon we'll be seeing Williamsburg, Pineville, and London right there off I-75. Really good location for them, Derek. That is. Uh, anybody from back home who listens to this podcast, anybody from Corbin, I mean, it's, Williamsburg's not, not obviously not too far away to go, but it'll be it'll make it easier if you're going to be in I, like for my sake, if I'm driving home, I'd much be much more likely to stop at the Butcher's Pub in London versus driving away to Williamsburg. So get out there, have the buffalo chicken sandwich, any of the other tasty items that they have there. We would very much appreciate the Butcher's Pub. Hopefully this year, I mean, they survived a very difficult last year. Hopefully with the vaccinations and everything like that, people are getting closer and closer to being able to go into those restaurants and eat. So thanks to them as always. Absolutely. Yeah, always always want to thank the Butcher's Pub, and we're going to try to do some shows there as COVID-19, hopefully the vaccination continues to roll out, or the vaccine, and then we'll uh, try to do some live shows on site there. But feels good to say this, too. This has been another episode of Kentucky Daily. I can assure you there will be no more pausing. We will move forward with a daily podcast. We'll be back again tomorrow. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.